Hello there, and thanks for joining me on the uh, podcast. Criminal behavior by adolescents. And the issue of who is the adolescent? What is the adolescent like? What are the truisms? What are the true characteristics of adolescents today? Are they any, are they any different at all than they were 50 years ago or 100 years ago? Recently, I was directed to an article written by Lawrence Steinberg from Temple University and Elizabeth Scott from the University of Virginia Law School. They titled their article, Less Guilty by Reason of Adolescence. And they identify in this article the characteristics of adolescence today. And they review the criminal nature of adolescence in the past as well as now, comparing it to adult criminal behavior, and looked at some legal principles or some legal ideas related to the uh, guiltiness, level of guiltiness of adolescents. Now, they argue this way, that adolescents should not be held to the same standard of criminal responsibilities as adults. Because adolescents' decision-making capabilities are diminished. They are, adolescents are less able to resist the coercive influence of their peers and others. And that their character is still undergoing change and maturity. So there's a dual level here that they're arguing in our society. Adults by one standard, adolescents by another standard. And in fact, in the article, they go on and compare adolescents to adults that are mentally ill or mentally retarded. Not that that is the case for the adolescent, but that they think like or they function like somebody who is less capable in their abilities. Because during the adolescent years, they're still growing, they're still maturing, they're still learning. And we need to consider that when it comes to the law, when it comes to dividing up um, the levels of responsibility of our adolescent kids. Now, what is the adolescent like today? What are the characteristics of adolescents? They're probably not very different than they were 50 years ago. But it might be good to just review them a little bit and say, here is what we're dealing with when we deal with the adolescent. Here's the first one. Substantial research supports the conventional wisdom that even in the middle adolescence, teenagers are more responsive to peer influence than are adults. Now, that's probably something that we all know. Adolescent kids function as a result of the influence upon them by their peers. Adults have a greater level of independence and a little greater level of resistance to the influence of other people. That's a truism. But what is it about the adolescent? Well, there's two things. One is 
the adolescent kid desires and wants and lives for the acceptance of their peers. They want to be accepted. They want to belong. They want to be part of the adolescent community of the day, the adolescent community of that school, the adolescent community of that church, the adolescent community, uh, that adolescent community of their neighborhood. Adolescent kids desire to be approved, to be accepted, and to be incorporated into the adolescent world around them. But the other feature is this. Our adolescent kids fear rejection. And in fact, the fear of rejection can be even greater than the desire for approval. One of the worst things that can happen to an adolescent kid is to be rejected. To be rejected by a girl, a boyfriend, to be rejected by a parent, to be rejected by a grandparent, to be rejected by a teacher, to be rejected by a leader in their church or youth leader, for instance, or to be rejected by their own peers. That's a horrible experience to go through. And a kid, an adolescent kid, will do anything he possibly can to remove the possibility of being rejected. They want to be accepted and approved and made to feel that they belong. That's the choice. And that's the driving factor of the adolescent kid in our community. The desire for acceptance and the fear of rejection. Now that is true to some degree with adults but to a lesser degree. It is hallmark with adolescent kids. It's true of a lot of adults, but they can sometimes weather rejection. They can sometimes generate a sense of approval or acceptance by their peers a little easier. The age of 14 is a critical age in the adolescent years. The age of 14 is when a kid becomes more an individual. He becomes less of a child of a family and is now beginning to be a child of the community, a child of the world, a child of his peer group, a child of his school, and so on. 14 is kind of a critical tipping point for kids. That's when it really begins to kick in, where they want that approval and they reject the idea of being forgotten, unacknowledged. So that critical point of 14 really sets off the pace for a kid. So if you have a 14-year-old, that's critical. They want more individualism. They want more opportunity to be an individual, to have freedom, to have trust. But they don't know how to live that way. They're going to disappoint you as a parent, going to disappoint you as a teacher. So you have to work with them and help them think through the decisions they're making and how they're making decisions. Well, that's the first point. Okay? Here's the second point. It is well established that over an extended period between childhood and young adulthood, individuals become more future-oriented.
Now that sounds like a truism, doesn't it? Adults project out their vision much far, much more in the future than adolescent kids. Kids have a short-sightedness. They look into the near future. Adults look into the distant future. Adolescent kids cannot necessarily see or weigh the importance or the value of things happening 20 years from now. They live for now and the next five years. Adolescent kids can't think much more than maybe four or five years in the future, if that far. On the other hand, adults not only can look five years into the future as they make decisions and make plans, but they can project into the future five and ten and fifteen and twenty years much more easily and much more readily. You see, the future orientation of the adolescent is here and now. The future of the orientation of the adult is sometime in the future. I'll live for it and I'll work for it and I'll plan for it and we'll wait for it. Adolescent kids don't wait for it. They want it now. They want it soon. So that idea of futurism is short-sighted for kids much more than it is for the adults. Again, that five-year span of time is very critical. Kids can't look much beyond that. And to expect them to, you're asking them to fail. You're asking them to be frustrated. They can't do it. So as a parent, you have to help a child think through their life and their plans and their consequences of what they do in the near future, not the distant future. Now here's the third point about our adolescents today. Adolescents differ from adults in their assessment and attitude towards risk and risk-taking. Here's what that means. Adolescent kids place very little weight on the distant future. They place a lot of weight on the near future. If they're going to make a, 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 take an activity or engage in a behavior that, that has some risk in it, it's whether that risk is going to be now, not in the future. Whereas adults are much more likely to think of the risk related to their behavior patterns as having a future weight and a future outcome. Cigarette smoking is an example. Kids engaged in such behavior don't think of the long-term consequences of what's going to happen to them 20 years from now. That isn't even in their mind. That's not an argument to not smoke. They don't think 20 years into the future of what the cigarette effect is going to be in their life and on their body and their health and their brain 20 years from now. That's beyond their thinking. They only think in the, na in, the, in the near future, like now or the next year or the next several months. And they see it as they're not at risk. Nothing bad's going to happen. Whereas on the other hand, adults are more likely to think of the risk that they're engaged in for the future. Smoking likewise. They're much more likely to give weight to the fact that their health is going to break down if they continue smoking 
over the next number of years. And we know from our research, and I've done much of that research, that smoking at about 20 years is associated with a breakdown of the body. The health of a person breaks down significantly at about 20 years of smoking, as it does about 20 years of drinking alcohol, too, by the way. But our kids don't look at risk from the point of view of the long term. They only look at risk relative to now. Marijuana smoking is another one. That's why they say it doesn't, there's no problem. There's no health problem. There's nothing to worry about. That's true, probably. There isn't anything to worry about in the next six months or the next year or maybe the next couple of years. But there's something to worry about when you think about it in the next five years or ten years down the road. There's a lot of factors that come to play. And only the adult thinks that way. The adolescent does not think that way. The adolescent does not see risk in the future. They only see risk in the immediate future. And here's the fourth factor. There's a widely held stereotype that adolescents are more impulsive than adults. Now, that's common knowledge and thought to be true. But here's what that says. That adolescent kids will make their decisions on impulse. That's why peer influence is so powerful. Because kids are on you right now. Do it now. Do it now. Do it today. And the adolescent kids will act on impulse. Where the adult will weigh it and will consider it and will uh, look for justification and give thought to it. And maybe wait and make a decision or engage in a behavior or react to something after having given it some thought. That's why we try to teach our kids to count to ten before they say something. You know, to bite their tongue for a while before they say something. We don't want them to get in trouble by reacting and saying something impulsively that then they'll regret or that will hurt someone. So we try to teach our adolescents, our adolescent kids, our teenagers, to have these strategies of waiting, impulse control. You remember the marshmallow studies, maybe you'll uh, recall that. Kids were placed in a room and a marshmallow was placed in front of them. And the man that was running the particular experiment would say, I'm going to leave the room for a minute. I'll be right back. But while I'm gone, there's a marshmallow on the table. You can eat it if you want. But if you wait till I come back, you can have two marshmallows. And then they looked at the kids that were impulsive. Those that ate the marshmallow and didn't want to wait at all. And compare them to the kids that did wait. These are different kind of kids. And the, that's like the adolescent. They'll eat the marshmallow today rather than wait for something bigger and better tomorrow or next week or next month or next year. We as parents need to teach our kids to wait. We need to teach our kids to delay their actions and their, re, and their reactions. We want to teach our children to become more like adults that they will weigh and consider before taking an action. They'll weigh and consider before making a decision. Making some kind of a problem-solving task and acting on it. Though our adolescents need to learn that adult behavior to wait. 
to study, to think it through, to consider, look at the options, look at the possibilities, consult, sleep on it, think about it, and then make a decision. That's adult behavior. And that's what we want to teach our children. We want to teach our, adult, our adolescent kids that. So that they will learn to wait and not make decisions now impulsively. So that's the adolescent in our world today. And that's the task of parents and the task of youth leaders and the task of teachers is to help our children, particularly our adolescent children, to become adult-like in their thinking, decision-making, reaction patterns, planning, strategizing, making decisions, taking action, and being very careful to not let the peer group make the decision for them, but to hold back and to think it through and become more of an individual rather than to become part of a group and just go along with the group pressure that's on the day. Now I would like you to take a look at the book I wrote, Doctor Teach Me to Parent. I deal with these kind of issues in that book and help parents become more effective parents in their dealing with their kids, particularly adolescent kids and junior high kids. So, my book's available on Amazon. Doctor, teach me to parent. You'll find it there. Or you can just go to my website, www.booksbyhedberg.com. You get the book there as well. A great book for you as a parent to help you think through the raising of your teenage kid and helping your kid become an, a mature adult, a successful adult, and not self-destruct during the adolescent years. Thanks for being with me. Bye for now.